Dave Brown, right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Soley, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every week here on the show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell. And this week, going to jump back into the Universal Wrestling Federation, all the way back in 1986, which means going to bring back guest co-host Roman Gomez for the show here this week. But before we do that, just a friendly reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows like Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw vs. Nitro as we chronicle the weekly episodic Monday Night War between the WWF's Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. Now in the summer of 96, you can also listen to my show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, the original show here on the WrestleCopia brand, the granddaddy of them all, if you will. Episode number 100 right around the corner for the Grenade Podcast. And right now we're tackling the 1987 in the WWF Project in the fall now of 87 in the World Wrestling Federation. And you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. You can also follow me on social media. Follow me on Twitter, guys, at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, guys. You can find me there at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade uploading new footage all the time. Something like 500 videos now up right there on my YouTube channel and more to come soon. So stay tuned. And last but not least, now more than ever would be an extremely supportive time to become a WrestleCopia patron. You can find me there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from. But I only ask you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. Includes all sorts of gifts for just $5. Including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes. We're talking pages upon pages of show notes for every episode of The Grenade, Monday Warfare, and the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also receive early access to many of the podcasts here at WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into the show. But that's not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. But it doesn't end there, guys. You'll also receive my Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more, plus random bonus video drops, news clipping ads, 
You never know what I'm going to add there at Patreon as part of that all-access tier. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription, cancel any time. Show your support. Give it a try for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer. And every penny of it, guys, goes right back here into paying the bills at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you have a few bucks to spare, now more than ever would be a great time to get involved and show your support. If you're looking to support a new podcast brand that features quality content that not only informs, but also entertains, please consider joining my Patreon to help me pay some of the bills to keep the podcast network up and running for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that out of the way, we roll on. It's time to take you back in time to 1986 for Bill Watts' UWF. guys not going to waste any time this week he is the guest co-host of the mid-south and uwf project here on regional wrestling welcome back roman gomez to the show oh it's always good to talk wrestling with you ray and uh it's been crazy but now it's time for some fun let's talk some old uwf finally getting a break and uh joining the podcast so i thank you very much uh, for your return to the show roman always always a pleasure always look forward to it and uh Believe me, if I had my way, we would record every day. <laughs> well, before we get rolling, guys, with more TV reviews and arena results, let's first take a look, a quick look at the UWF April news here in 1986. And for those who may have missed it on the last episode of Regional Wrestling here in the Mid-South Territory, Rob Rick Steiner is now simply Rick Steiner and under the guidance of one Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. It's a scary thought, Roman. Steiner and Sawyer. They were a good duo together. They weren't uh, long together, but when they were side-by-side, side, it, it was a very believable and formable tag team. Yeah, Rick Steiner is scary enough on his own, but being led around by Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, yikes. <laughs> but uh, we'll Wouldn't want to mess with either one of those two in a bar. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Imagine both of them together. No thank you. Also, guys, Ken Mantell has taken over the book here in the UWF, so we'll notice some comedy spliced into some of these vignettes roman like we saw with the sheep herders and lady maxine last time and more coming this week as well guys but having mantel also means lots of ins with a lot of the talent still down in the world class territory in dallas which is going to pay off big big time as the weeks progress here lots of guys jumping ship from fritz von eric to the cowboys promotion here including a specific group that have worked with ken in the past and are now headed in already confirmed the fabulous Freebirds on their way. Oh, lots of excitement with the influx of talent. You know, you got the Freebirds coming in. Later on, Tatum and Victory, the Iceman, Missing Link. Uh, lots of excitement with the influx of talent coming in. And Kamala as well. He's going to be here shortly uh, on this episode of Regional Wrestling, in fact. But the fabulous Freebirds, they didn't get their start together. And, well, Buddy Roberts did with the Freebirds in the Mid-South Territory back in 1980. They didn't get their start as a team, Hayes and Gordy, in the Mid-South, but they certainly perfected 
themselves there back, uh, like I said, 1980-81 into Georgia, covering that with Jamie Ward right now. Going into 83, they're going to head into world class and terrorize Dallas and the Von Erichs and their fans as well. So the Freebirds heading back home here to Nolens. And they signed a million-dollar contract to come into the UWF. Well, here's a guy who likely didn't sign a million-dollar contract, Roman. We've seen the writing on the wall for weeks now, probably since he got here, but also gone by the end of April will be Taurus Balba, gone from the UWF. No real shocker there. No, you could see the descent of uh, Taurus Balba, and it, it just didn't work out like they had hoped. It was a rapid descent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You hear about guys taking the skyrocket to the top, you know, the Magnum TAs and whatnot, but... Uh, he kind of took the skyrocket to the bottom, so to speak. There you go. New to the UWF, as mentioned, was Lady Maxine. She arrived last time here on the show, the girlfriend of Jack Victory. We saw her introductory vignette last week, which I found amusing, Roman. Looking forward to seeing her out there with Jack at ringside, though. Well, you had talked about comedy, and uh, for those of you that haven't seen that skit from last week with uh, Maxine and the Sheep Herders of Victory, it was pretty comical, and... Uh, you know, she was a different type of woman back in the day, you know, being so big and tall, and she did not like to t look like the traditional woman you associate with back in wrestling. So right. she had a unique feature, and it made her really stand out. Yeah, she had that brief run back in the WWF before reportedly Moolah nixed that, and Moolah didn't want anybody getting more over than her on the heel side. There's actually pictures drawn. Lady Maxine was originally part of that Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon, but she was replaced by Moolah at the last minute in that cartoon. So uh, Moolah playing a little politic there to keep Maxine out, but what a fun little feud that could have been Maxine versus Wendy Richter. Moolah, the woman, the woman that was champion for 27 years, didn't want anybody to upstage her? No. <laughs> Was it only 27 years? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll go on, though. We were talking a little WWF 85, 84, 85 there, but we'll continue on here talking more 86 in the Mid-South Territory. Uh, we know already, guys, that Ted DiBiase currently on a tour of All Japan while selling that throat injury from the Sheep Herders here in the UWF, but he'll be back by the end of April, Roman, though Teddy's going to be off to Japan yet again upcoming in July for yet another tour. We'll see how they handle that one. Yeah, it's always good when Teddy's in the area, and uh, you can't blame all Japan for wanting to get their hands on him. You know, Teddy was just such a master technician and a and a great talent and a Hall, Hall of Famer in every aspect. Yeah, there was money to be made there, uh, DiBiase's trips to Japan, and clearly Bill Watts having no problem with that. And uh, Ted DiBiase in and out, we saw it back in the fall. Of course, I think he was part of that Real World Tag League tournament, and here he's gone right now. He will be back by the end of April, but gone again, upcoming in the month of July. So we hardly knew ye Ted DiBiase, but he will be back soon. As the inaugural Crockett Cup also coming up soon, Roman. In fact, we'll have a very special episode of Regional Wrestling talking all about the Crockett Cup events here in 1986, which we will be dropping soon. So be on the lookout for that, guys. That will be our next show together, Roman. The Crockett Cup, 1986. Oh, I am so looking forward to that. What a great time it was to be a fan back then. And I've already been doing a lot of research going through those matches and kind of getting some uh, things, some extra things to talk about in between some of those matches as well that caught my eye. And uh, just fun seeing some of those teams come in from out of town, whether it was Canada, though we didn't get really to see the Martel Bravo team. But, of course, all Japan bringing Baba over. It's funny to see that Baba comes over for the Crockett Cup, coming from all Japan, during an all Japan tour while sending Ted DiBiase from the UWF. Essentially, I guess you could say to fill Baba's shoes on the on those All Japan tour dates. 
Yeah, and you know, at that stage, unfortunately, Baba was not the the world championship caliber wrestler. You right. know, he was uh, he he was it wasn't the same, but it was kind of cool, you know, to see him with uh, Tiger Mask. It's kind of like uh, you you tell people to go back in time and watch Andre, you know, before things started catching up on him, all of the uh, issues he had, the health issues. And I can say the same for Baba, maybe even more so. He was really good in the ring, real fun to watch a guy that size move around, around and do the things that he did. Yeah, you know, I, I've got a match from way back when with uh, Andre versus Baron Von Roschke, and I believe that's the match where Andre did a leapfrog and a drop kick. You know, he was a, in a lot better shape then. And like you said, unless you see it, it's hard to picture them as agile, you know, but it's worth going back in time to check those out if you can. Indeed. And speaking of the Crockett Cup, Dick Slater's run here, sadly, coming to an end. His final match will take place at the Crockett Cup event against the North American champion, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, Dick Slater, storyline screwed on the way out by Cowboy Bill Watson. Boy, is he screwed big time here. In actuality, much like Jake the Snake Roberts, Slater, he's got a gig coming up with the World Wrestling Federation. Unfortunately, unlike Jake Roberts, Dickie, not going to fare so well up north. Yeah, it, it was sad to see Slater go up there as the rebel because he was a tremendous talent, and uh, him him in the Northeast, just it, it just didn't click. Yeah, doing the Southern gimmick, Southern rebel character up north, mind you, as a babyface, no less. Dick Slater's a babyface. Can he pull it off? Yeah, in small doses, but obviously much better as a heel. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. 100%. Slater was a very solid heel as a babyface. It just, the whole time, whenever he was a babyface, you just wanted him to turn heel again so you could see the best of Dick Slater. And of course, Roman, the last episode we did together, we witnessed the return of the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, as they immediately defeated the Sheep Herders for the UWF Tag Team titles on the last episode of UWF TV. So we have brand new champions, and the Fantastics are back. Yeah, the Fantastics, you know, one of the legendary tag teams, and it's always good to see them. All right, guys, and that brings us to here. We're going to roll on with some UWF TV for April the 12th, tape back March 30th at the Tulsa Convention Center. Of course, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The host this week, Jim Ross and Jay Smith. He was uh, apparently 1975 co-rookie of the year alongside Ted DiBiase. Did you know that, Roman? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'd like to think I know a little bit about wrestling, but Jay Smith, when he came on, I was like, who is that? Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I've seen the name that I'm going to bring up here in a minute a few times in results, but I didn't know a whole lot about this Jay Smith fellow, so I did some digging, uh, and here we go. Apparently, other than knowing he wrestled for the McGurk Territory about 10 to 12 years prior, I really didn't know a whole lot, so I did some digging, and he was born. Jay Clayton Smith wrestled mostly as Jay Clayton or Jay Clay in McGurk's Tri-States Territory, with some shots in Florida and Georgia in between, all throughout the mid-70s. Now, he was born in 1941, served in the Marines throughout the 60s, so he didn't break into the wrestling business until the mid-70s, which means he was already around his mid-30s by that point, but he got a big push upon his arrival, as Jim Ross said, co-rookie of the year back in 75 with DiBiase, and he was teamed with Danny Hodge and Ken Mantell. Hey, I wonder if that's how Jay got the shot here. Former partners with Ken Mantell and Danny Hodge both times U.S. Tag Team Champions on two separate occasions. So big things were clearly expected for Jay Smith's future at the time. Now, I've read that Bill Watts claimed Jay's downfall was, unfortunately, drug addiction, but I cannot confirm that, guys. When he graduated college, he did get a master's in psychology and became a trauma and addictions therapist, which 
makes these supposed Watts comments even more interesting. But unfortunately, Jay passed away on Christmas Day back in 2005 at 64 years old. So just trying to shed a little light as to who this guy was here alongside Jim Ross, put some context to the man on the screen as this was apparently a tryout to continue full time. Goodness gracious, you got more scoops than Baskin Robbins. I, <laughs> I, I know everything about him now, but what his mom's shoe size is? Uh, eight. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. No, yeah, I just, you know, I saw, I said, who is this guy? And it was so easy. I've watched this before, and I just kind of go, oh, who the hell is this guy? Somebody Watts knows, you know, in business or something like that. And this time I actually paid attention. Ross put him over as a co-rookie of the year with DiBiase. I said, all right, that's it. I'm going back in time and figuring this thing out. I did a little Al Getz there. And I, and I got to the bottom of it. And uh, lo and behold, he, he had a nice little run there for just, you know, it was only a two, three-year run, but he was on top. Well, like you said, you know, maybe that Mantel was the connection for him getting his foot in the door. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't last long, but he is here for this set of tapings, and we will see him again before this episode is over. As we head off to the ring, television champion Buzz Sawyer, Rick Steiner in his corner, taking on Ricky Gibson. And the TV title is on the line in this one. As Sawyer jumps Gibson as he's removing his jacket. And we never get a bell here, so the match goes on without a bell. I don't think Bill Watts cared for that very much. But Buzz Sawyer mauling Gibson in this matchup, biting at his head, raking his face into the mat before tossing him out to the floor. Mad Dog then suplexing Gibson back inside. And I wrote here in my notes, excellent suplex, by the way. And most wrestlers today, they, they don't bother to make a suplex look this good because it's just a, a throwaway move in the matchup. But Sawyer... He made it look great here. Unfortunately, only gets him a two count. Sawyer, though, finally missing an elbow drop. Gibson tries for a comeback. He does manage to land a drop kick, but Ricky looking for a leapfrog, but he's caught in midair with the Buzz Sawyer power slam. Going to get the TV champion the win. Just one minute and 53 seconds. And Buzz Sawyer always made that move look good. His power slam was good in general, but when the opposing wrestler would go for a leapfrog and Buzz would catch him and in one motion power slam him, it just always looked good when Buzz did that. Yeah, Buzz could hit a power slam out of anywhere with any momentum coming at him. They didn't just have to be in a position for him to hook them and take them over. He did some insane power moves with that power slam, catching crossbodies and having to really rotate his entire body to make it complete. And just he was always great at that move. I don't know what he could bench press or you don't hear any stories like that, but I get the feeling Buzz Sawyer was deceptively strong, you know, just. The, with his personality and everything, he could probably, you know, bench press a, a semi if he had to. Yeah, he had quite a torque when he needed to uh, throw somebody around the ring for sure. As the action continues on, Dick Slater out here taking on Tracy Smothers. Once again, we saw that not too long ago here on TV. Noticeably absent here is Dark Journey from ringside. No Dark Journey for Dick Slater, and I'm not sure if that was purely storyline driven since Slater's lost all of his titles and Journey's gimmick was that of a gold digger. Or if this was the point where the two had separated in real life, because it was indeed right around this time. But Dickey uh, takes over the matchup early, rush and leg sweep, swinging neckbreaker, double underhook suplex, and a pile driver. Ends this one on Smothers, just two minutes and eight seconds. Slater had complete control in this one. Smothers with no offense, very different from their last meeting that went nearly eight minutes. This time, putting over Dick's frustrations, the aggressiveness in the ring after being screwed out of everything he owned, as Jim Ross puts over Slater and Duggan being on a collision course very soon. Yeah, this match, like you alluded to, was a lot shorter than their previous match, which was kind of a surprising eight-minute contest, you know, where you thought Smothers would get dusted off pretty early, and uh, this match went the way we thought the last match might have went, and uh, 
Slater t- took it to Smothers and, like you said, finished him off with the pile driver in short short time. Yeah, and he, like I said, he already lost both titles thanks to the Cowboy. Now Dark Journey missing from ringside as well, and that'll continue to play on in the weeks to come. It's up next, we head off to localized promos, talking about the Crockett Cup. We learn on the event it's going to be North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan defending against Dick Slater, that North American title on the line at the Crockett Cup. Let's hear from both sides. Jim Duggan, the biggest night of your life in professional wrestling today. The Dome. The reason for this match, Jim Duggan, is because you rightfully didn't beat Dick Slater for the North American title. It was taken away from me. Now, Jim Duggan... You better realize this. I don't have anything to lose. But you do. Every single person in that dome is going to be behind Big Jim Duggan. But to see Jim Duggan, I'm a pretty tough individual when you come right down to it. And I'm going to fight you with everything I got. Don't think you're going to get out of this one easy, Duggan, because I'm going to be ready for you in the dome. You better believe it. Well, some strong comments from Dick Slater. And now let's hear this. From Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Okay, Dick Slater. Sure, you got a legitimate gripe. I didn't beat you one, two, three for this fancy day and show a shiny belt. Kind of hard to say, but I did. So now we're going to have a Superdome match. I love the Superdome time because it gives Hacksaw Duggan a chance to use some big words. It's an extravaganza. There's going to be people from all over the country packed inside that dome. And baby, after this North American heavyweight championship match is over, there's not going to be a doubt in anyone's mind. Not in that building, not in Louisiana, not in the United States of America. That Hacksaw Jim Duggan with two D's, baby, is the North American heavyweight champ, and that's the way it's going to stay. Tough guy. And there it was. Slater says Duggan has everything to lose. Dick is coming for the belt. He never really lost. While Hacksaw admits he didn't beat Slater for that fancy Dan title. And Dickie has a rightful gripe. But Duggan is coming to the Superdome to prove he deserves to be the North American champion. Tough guy. You know, Duggan was not going to back down from anybody. So that was cool that he acknowledged, you know, that he didn't beat Slater, but he wasn't afraid of him. He was still going to go toe-to-toe with him. Yeah, he even admits that, Slater, you do have a gripe, but I'm going to prove to you that I deserve to be the champion by beating you at the Crockett Cup. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But it's more Crockett Cup hype on the show here this week. As we learn, the trophy will be on display at the Hyatt Regency heading into the event. And there are Eastern Airlines deals, Roman. Callers must request for the Crockett Cup. One week away. Get your tickets now. And Eastern, the official airlines of the Crockett Cup. (laughs) How long did Eastern Airlines last? I don't really remember Eastern Airlines too well. Yeah, I don't remember hearing much about them after this. I don't know how how long they were in business, but they uh, definitely didn't last as long as some of the other ones, that's for sure. Eastern Airlines, you think that was Bill Watts' private plane? (laughs) Could have been. (laughs) Uh, Show continues on here. It's the Blade Runners, the ultimate warrior and sting, managed by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, taking on Perry Jackson and Sean O'Reilly. As the Blade Runners attack, takes about 20 seconds for the bell to even sound. The uh, timekeeper caught off guard here as O'Reilly sent to the outside. The Warrior with a gorilla press drop on Perry Jackson twice and then sting in with a big splash. And it's all over in just about 40 seconds time in and out of the ring. The Blade Runners dominating this one. 
there were a couple comments in this match that made me laugh, you know, when <laughs> Gilbert called them the team of the 80s. I, you know, yeah. I know he's trying to hype his guys, but it's like, uh, you look back now, it's kind of funny. And then when Jim Ross says that Pro Wrestling Illustrated probably made a mistake by not feeding Rock and uh, or Sting and Warriors, right. as they're better known, in the in the Crockett Cup, I thought it was hilarious. It's like, who is he kidding? I would have loved to have seen who uh, they would have paired the Blade Runners up against in that first round. Yikes. <laughs> well, yeah, it would have had to have been somebody, you know, Doc wasn't in the tournament anymore, but it would have had to have been with somebody that can work with them, you know, and it just, I don't think it would have been a good matchup for them to be in the Crockett Cup. Well, DiBiase's out of the tournament, but Dr. Death, definitely part of it with Terry Taylor. Right. Uh, as the show goes on, we get a replay from last week. Joined in progress, the final minutes of the Fantastics, defeating the Sheep Herders to become the new UWF Tag Team Champions. And then we take a, quote-unquote, behind-the-scenes look at the Fantastics, heading into the locker room after that big title win, congratulated by the likes of Terry Taylor. Coco Beware, so proud of them. Dr. Death, happy for the Fantastics, says he was tired of seeing those New Zealand flags. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, happy they brought the belts back home, and good to see the Fantastics back in the UWF. So the Fantastics then cut a promo here. They are back, and they're going to defend the titles for the fans. Yeah, and poor Bobby Fulton's mom not having a color TV. You know, it's good he was going to try to <laughs> win the Crockett Cup to get her a color TV. Ooh, I'm going to get to that next. Uh, what Roman's referencing, listen to this, guys. Up next, localized promos, more Crockett Cup talk. We're going to hear from Dr. Death and Terry Taylor, one of the teams involved, as well as the Fantastics. I tell you now, you know, a million dollars, Tommy, a lot of things could be done with a million dollars. You know, mom out there, she needs a new car. Grandma wants a color TV she's never had. And, you know, a lot of people like a lot of things. But a million dollars, you know, Tom, imagine what you could do to us. Us being only about 5'10 ourselves, I bet it could go clear to the ceiling, brother. I'd like to just stack that up for the fun and just see how high it went. Well, I tell you, it would be great just to stack it up, Bobby. But let me tell you something. April 19th, the Fantastics are coming down. They might be the underdogs going in, brother. But we'll be walking out proud with one million dollars stacked high. Well, everybody has their sights set on the $1 million, including Terry Taylor and Dr. Death, one of the top ten seeds. Here are their comments. Well, I'm disappointed Ted DiBiase is not going to be here at the Superdome, but I wish him good luck. Well, I got somebody right here who's going to take Teddy's place, and he's good enough for me. You know something, Terry? All we're in here for is that million dollars. Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. Tell you right now, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in professional wrestling. Other people may tell you. You look at this and you see a million dollars for the winning tag team. 24 of the greatest teams from all over the world, just not here in the United States. There's going to be a World Heavyweight Championship match, Flair against Dusty Rhodes. It's all going to be in one night, the 19th of April, and I can't wait to be there. When Doc asked me, he says, Terry, will you be my partner? I jumped at the chance. Because even when the wrestling's over, I'm going to be there watching every single match because this is going to be a night that's going to be written down in history. I hope we're going to be part of it. All right, there it was. You made reference to this, Roman. A million dollars. Could buy mom a new car, could buy grandma a new colored TV set. God, remember when you had to specify if your TV was black and white or colored? Yeah, and, and who knows, you know, with that million dollars, maybe they can afford to buy grandma remote to go with the TV as well. Wow, that'd, that'd be really, really cool of them. Damn fantastics. <laughs> couple of knockout guys. As uh, we, also, <laughs> we also heard from Terry Taylor, Dr. Death there. Dr. Death bummed out that DiBiase isn't part of the tournament, but happy to have Terry Taylor as, re as his replacement here. Terry hard selling the event. He says even when his night is over, Roman, he'll be watching the rest of the event. I wrote, hmm, doesn't sound too positive for Taylor, uh, because if you make it to the finals, there's no wrestling left to watch. But I guess what his position was here, just to put over 
the entire card, and that's what he did. I just found it comical that Terry said, even after the, my night is over, I'll continue to watch the rest of the show, basically foreshadowing that he plans to be eliminated. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I guess he didn't plan on wrestling late into the evening on that card. <laughs> and right now, it's supposed to be 10 matches in the afternoon show, 15 matches in the evening, barring any buys in the tournament. We'll see if that holds true on the next episode of Regional Wrestling. But for now, we head back to the ring. Tag Team Champions in the ring. It is the Fantastics taking on the team of Gustavo Mendoza and Taras Bulba. And right away, I made a note here. I don't know whose entrance takes longer, the Fantastics or the Undertaker. They absolutely make sure to greet every female fan in the crowd, it would seem. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it before. You could bake a cake by the time the Fantastics get to the ring. <laughs> As as the match finally gets underway, Bulba goes to town on Fulton to start off, but Bobby comes right back with a beautiful spinning head scissors out of the corner and floats right into a pair of Mexican arm drags. And I wrote, my God, this entire sequence was a thing of beauty. And it was in rapid fire succession and just flowed different than anything else we've ever seen in the States. And Bobby Fulton just made it look effortless here. Oh yeah. Their, their moves in the ring. I mean, they were lightning quick and, uh, they were definitely too much for Bulba and Mendoza. They, they couldn't uh, hang with the speed and quickness of the Fantastic. Now, from there, Mendoza tags into the matchup, getting crazier and more unkempt by the week, I noted as well. Uh, I should add, uh, certainly taking this gimmick seriously as the quote-unquote crazy Cuban at this point is Gustavo, certainly looking the part now. Right. And uh, Mendoza was always a, a favorite of mine as far as the enhancement workers go to watch. You know, he really got into his character. And Gustavo darting into the ring, but almost immediately getting caught off guard with the Tommy Rogers body block. And the Fantastics pick up the win in just two minutes and 15 seconds. I think their entrance was longer than the actual match. But things flowing fast this week. The Buzz Gibson and Slater Smothers matches went faster than I expected. But this one certainly did. was really looking forward to the competition here. But notice no Eddie Gilbert out there with Bulba either. More telling of the tale. Yeah, we you know we had talked a little bit earlier about Bulba, and that's what I had in my notes too. Not only is he teaming with an enhancement worker in Mendoza, but there's no Eddie Gilbert, so that shows like how the promotion thinks of him. And uh, yeah, a lot of short matches to start off this week, but that's kind of a good thing because that means the main event and the better quality matches can last a little bit longer. Well, let's see how that plays out because. This segment not done yet. The Fantastics pick up the win, but post-match, the Sheep Herders, the former champions, arrive ringside looking for revenge. After teasing it for a minute, Luke and Butch rush the ring, and the brawl is on. The Herders trying for a double whip on the Fantastics into one another, but a little do-si-do by Rogers and Fulton leads to a double-team spot as Fulton takes the Herders over with a side headlock and head scissor combination. The Sheeps bail, but they won't leave ringside. That's when the Fantastics they ask the fans to rise, oh my God, for the Pledge of Allegiance, guys. I wrote, oh, it's the Herder's Kryptonite, America. As Luke and Butch leave ringside, but no doubt they'll be back sooner rather than later. A little too hokey for me, the Pledge of Allegiance, guys. Yeah, coming from Bobby Fulton, <laughs> uh, not that he was anti-American or anything, but you know, you expect that from a Sergeant Slaughter, but yeah, when Bobby Fulton led the pledge, I go, that's eh, not something you would expect, but this really showcased the Fantastics, you know. They, they beat Bulba and Mendoza in convincing fashions. Their rivals, the former tag champs, come into the ring, and they took care of them. And uh, this is a good showcase for the Fantastics right before the Crockett Cup. I have to agree. Convincing fashion, indeed. Great words there. And uh, this is the show that never ends, guys. More action as we continue on. Terry Taylor now taking on Jack Victory 
with Lady Maxine in his corner, and Jim Ross comes straight out and calls Maxine ugly-looking folks, as she's certainly more punked up than the last time we saw her, Roman, orange and green in the mohawk, sides of her head now painted up as well, her clothes are changed up here too, and she appears to be carrying a whip now along the ringside with her, as Jim Ross talks Jack Victory joining the sheep herders simply to try and gain notoriety. Nothing wrong with that, JR. Also to note here, Jay Smith on commentary, he isn't very exciting, fairly monotone, but he knows his stuff. He's clearly been following the product. He knows the stories, the talent, and even sounds intelligent when he's trying to explain moves. I don't know if you really paid attention to his commentary. Yeah, he's got one one speed, but he seems to know what to do out there. Yeah, it's funny. We are so much on the same page because I was thinking the guy, it, he does not come across as a, as a knucklehead, you know, on commentary. He comes right. across like he knows the business. He, he knows the moves, but there was just something about his voice. There was no passion. There was no life. It was very, like you said, monotone. And uh, had he put a little more energy into it, who knows? Maybe he would have lasted a little longer than just a few episodes. No, it was clear he got it as far as what he needed to deliver here, other than the passion, as you said, because there's no crash course, not even from Bill Watts, that's going to get you ready in a day's time to do as good a job as he did in actually telling the stories and explaining things. And I can tell you, I mean, not that I was ever on mainstream, but, you know, I used to be an announcer for an independent league, and it's a lot harder than what it, what people think it is to comment on a match and make it appear exciting when it's not and getting angles over. It, it's a lot harder than what it is, and it made me appreciate the greats like Jim Ross and Gordon Soley even more. As the match gets going here, Terry Taylor besting Victory early on with some basic fundamentals, headlocks, and arm bars. Victory manages to escape the holds, but keeps winding right back up in them. Uh, Jack, though, finally backs Terry into the corner and just stomps him all the way down to the mat. Good aggression here by Jack Victory. I really like that in him. Victory, though, tries to throw Taylor to the floor, but Terry catches himself on the apron, leaps right back inside, and attacks Victory. Terry, though, telegraphing a backdrop. Victory laying in a stiff kick to the chest of the future Red Rooster and then begins to work a chin lock here as Taylor finally frees himself, delivers a nice suplex, but misses a drop kick, and Jack Victory goes down for the cover. Taylor misses the drop kick. Jack Victory going to cover... And Lady Maxine grabbing Taylor's feet from the floor, holding them down. Is Victory going to get the one, two, three? Jack scores the pinfall victory. See what I did there, guys? Jack Victory with the win over Terry Taylor. Seven minutes and nine seconds. And I did not see that coming. Unbelievable. As Taylor is pissed, as Victory embraces Maxine, and they leave victorious. This was an enjoyable, competitive match, you know, that went back and forth. And Lady Maxine showed her worth by helping Victory get the victory. And, yeah, I'm along with you. I did not see this coming. It came as a surprise, but a big feather in the hat for Jack Victory to beat Terry Taylor, the former North American heavyweight champion. Yeah, it wasn't all that long ago that Jack Victory was a corner man like Lady Maxine for the Sheep Herders. And... It, you really didn't look at him as uh, anything other than a bump machine, maybe a third wheel that's going to play part in six-man tags or, again, take the bumps for the champions who were Luke and Butch at the time. But now he's uh, – and obviously he cheated uh, along with his valet here to get the win, but he's pinning Terry Taylor on TV. Yeah, and uh, Taylor, the former booker, you know, I, I guess he wasn't booking this show. No, obviously not. As uh, we continue <laughs> on <laughs> – localized promos more for the Crockett cup this time we're going to hear from the sheep herders and the american dream doth the road whoa 
It's a million dollar night. A million dollars. It's a million dollars if we got the more. It's a million dollars if we got the spend on our cheap farm. You know something? What's that, cousin? We are now the champions of the mid-south. And we're going to show you people that we're the champions of the world. And nobody, nobody's going to think the cheap end. Nobody's going to think that a million dollars away from us. And now let's hear this from the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. You know, throughout this country, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, Nature Boy, Rick Flair, is a struggle of constant security. Nobody, no two men throughout the history of wrestling has brought together such a massive body of people in the New Orleans Superdome, New Orleans, Louisiana, for the Jim Crockett Team Memorial Cup, and the World Heavyweight title. Bill Watts went on national TV and said, we want a title change in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dusty Rhodes, the American dream has more than a title change in mind. Three or four months went by when I was laid up with a bad ankle and say, Dusty Rhodes is sued from wrestling. The legend no longer walks the streets, the arenas throughout this country as the proud American dream that it was. Not only taking a title in New Orleans on the 19th, but taking a leg on off because payback is going to be. Those comments of Dusty Rhodes, we got out of that segment just in time. He is more than ready for this situation. Two big sessions coming up Saturday, April the 19th. Two o'clock is the starting time for the afternoon session. $10 tickets for the afternoon session. All tickets still available. Get them early at all Ticketmaster outlets. All right, so the Sheep Herders, they obviously cut this promo when they were champions, still holding the belts there, and how they want that million dollars in American currency, I might add. Meanwhile, Dusty Rhodes talking the constant struggle with the Nature Boy Ric Flair to be on the top of things here. The NWA title will be on the line of the Crockett Cup, and Bill Watts, he always wanted a title change here in New Orleans, but Dusty says it's even bigger than the title. He's taking the title and getting revenge on Rick's you-know-what, baby. So we get to hear from Dusty Rhodes here, heading into the Crockett Cup as well. Yeah, and, and seeing the Sheepers with the belt, you know, when I saw that, I had to do a double take. Like, did they really have the belts during this promo? Like, who screwed up in editing? Or they could have at least alluded, like, this interview was pre-taped before the title match. It was just kind of weird to see them holding the belts when 10, 15 minutes earlier, you knew the Fantastics were the tag champs. Yeah, and even if this was recorded prior to them losing the belts, they had to have known they were losing the belts, you'd have to think, so they would have known to have, well, I'm not going to get into all the semantics there, but yeah, it was obviously uh, recorded prior to their title loss, but the Sheep Herders now, instead of the belts, looking for a million dollars, and ain't nothing wrong with that. No, no, I mean, there have already been champions in uh, 37 countries, and now they could be millionaires if they win the Crockett Cup. I believe the count is now 472 countries. I don't know if there are that many countries, but maybe someday. As uh, the show goes on, and I don't know how many matches we've already seen, but yes, guys, yet another match here this week. This time it's the Birdman, Coco Beware, taking on the evil Russian, Korsita Korchenko, with Eddie Gilbert in his corner. And immediately, Gilbert makes the decision to let Korchenko sit this match out tonight. Maybe keeps him ready for a potential title shot with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So instead, taking Korchenko's place, Eddie Gilbert himself will do the quote-unquote light work and take on Coco Beware. So maybe Eddie's gimmick at this point is he's retired, Roman, except for matches with Coco Beware. Because remember, he cut that 
retirement promo. And since that time, he's wrestled twice, now both times against Coco Beware. And as a wrestling fan, I wanted to give Eddie Gilbert a high five and a thank you for filling in for Korchenko, because I would much rather see a Gilbert Coco than a Korchenko Coco match. Amen. Is uh, Gilbert going to wrestle in his street clothes here? Suspenders and all. And great punches exchanged by both men to begin this one. And where with a, I refer to it as a snap press slam, really scooped Eddie up fast and dro- drove him down. For lack of a better term, I called it a snap press slam. Very impressive. Big slam on Eddie Gilbert here. Then Coco, I wrote, oh shit, is it already over? Where up to the middle rope looking for that next snapping missile dropkick. But in rushes Korchenko. But the Birdman is ready for him. Coco unloads with the missile dropkick on the Russian instead, who gets sent out of the ring as quickly as he rushed in. Get it? Russian rushed in? Well, I laughed. Coco then, <clears throat> Coco then with an inside cradle on Gilbert gets the one, the two, and I think the three? At least according to Jim Ross on commentary. Looks like it also may have been a DQ as Gilbert kicked out right on the three count. And Korchenko attacked the Birdman. Either way, Coco going to pick up the win here in just 50 seconds. Yeah, I wish this match would have went longer. I mean, it, it really would have been fun to see them go six or seven minutes. But I thought that was a cool spot, too, when Korchenko goes to run in and that Coco was ready for him and saw it and drop kicked him instead of Eddie Gilbert. You know, it's not something you see every day where somebody does a run in and they get dropkicked like that. I thought that was kind of cool. Right. As high up the card as they've tried to build Korchenko, it almost felt like, oh, he's going to get Coco's number here. Coco was looking at Eddie Gilbert, but he pivots and ro- kind of rotates a little bit and n- nails Korchenko with that missile dropkick instead. And then somehow, I don't know how he beat Eddie Gilbert again. I'm not sure if it was a three count or not. Jim Ross would like for us to think that it was. But either way, Coco looked pretty smart here. You know, he wasn't, he, uh, it's going to, what we're going to see what happens here in a minute to Coco. But I think, I felt like they, they, he saved face the way they booked him here. Yeah. Yeah. Coco was, uh, he was a lot better to watch in the UWF than the WWF, you know, when he gained some weight and everything. And, uh, Coco was a good talent, very underrated at that time. So Coco Ware going to pick up the win, but post-match, Korchenko going to jump Ware and hold him for hot stuff to land some cheap shots. But it's Dr. Death Steve Williams to the rescue. Doc hits the ring and floors Gilbert before he plows over the Russian with a big tackle. And Doc has the crowd going absolutely nuts here uh, as he makes the save. And you know, you read some of these segments on paper and you think, eh, Korchenko versus Coco beware. All right. But then it's like, wow, so many segments on UWF TV come out 10 times better than they have any right being, which says a lot about the talent involved. A lot about the talent, the crowd, you know, because if, if the crowd sits on their hands, these angles mean nothing. But the Very crowd good. was on fire, you know. All you had to do was do the anti-American, whether it was Korchenko, the sheep herders. If anybody was anti-American, the baby face was going to get a big pop, you know, and they put the right people in place to defend America. You know, the Dr. Death, the Fantastics. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good booking. Uh, we learned next week, guys, it's six-man tag team action. The Fantastics are back. They're going to team with Terry Taylor to take on the trio of the Sheep Herders and Jack Victory. Plus, Kamala arrives. Kamala will be back after a year's hiatus from the company, and he'll be back with his manager, Skandor Akbar. So much for super pro wrestling. As uh, we go on, April the 13th, Power Pro Wrestling hosted by Jim Ross. And since Power Pro 
is syndicated out to more areas than the UWF right now. We go back to see some of the recent goings-on in the territory, including Duggan over Buzz Sawyer to win the North American title, then an upset Dick Slater brawling with Duggan as he wants that title back that he never truly lost. And then from there, it's a throwback match, guys. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeating Crusher Khrushchev and Duggan burning that Russian flag. So they're clearly using this to hype the upcoming Duggan-Korchenko title matches around the horn. Yeah, you know, but the thing with Korchenko, people booed because he was a Russian, but that's kind of where it stopped. You know, like people legitimately hated the Khrushchev, the Nikitas, the Ivans, you know, and just Korchenko. I mean, we talked about it. We beat it to death. He just wasn't a real believable character. No, not at all. Not in the, not in the least, which, again, I, shocks me that he, he sticks around as long as he does here. Not that it's forever, but still longer than I would have guessed. Well, he lasted a little bit longer than Terrace Bulba, that's for sure. Uh, so we just saw the matchup between Duggan and Crusher Khrushchev at this point, but we also go back about a year with Skandor Akbar fireballing Duggan in the face during a matchup against Kamala. This was shortly before Kamala left the Mid-South Territory in 85, and this feud was really never settled. But Kamala, he's headed back in, guys. No doubt that feud will resume because that's just how the cowboy rolls. Yeah, Duggan and Kamala, that would have been fun to see back in the day. And uh, on a personal note, Kamala's one of the guys I never got to meet. I would have always liked to meet Kamala, and I would have given anything to get him to autograph uh, that Sports Review magazine where he had Hulk Hogan's head on a spear. Oh my God, <laughs> that was I one of the like... greatest magazine covers ever. Yeah, if I if there was one piece of uh, uh, wrestling merchandise I would have wanted Kamala to sign, it would have definitely been that magazine. Good call there, Roman. <laughs> so a good third of this episode of Power Pro, focusing on the North American champion, Jim Duggan, uh, the lead star now in the UWF with Jake Roberts gone and, and Ted DiBiase over in Japan. Uh, Duggan, his recent accomplishments, promoting upcoming matches with Korchenko and Kamala all across the territory. So I thought for Power Pro, the secondary show, Good use of TV here on their secondary program, getting over their top star, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and his upcoming matches that he will have against the likes of Korchenko and Kamala. Yeah, back in the day, you know, Duggan could really work his tail off. You know, he wasn't the cartoon-type character that a lot of fans are accustomed to seeing in the in WWF. But yeah, back in 86, UWF, Duggan was a great choice to be the North American champ. And uh, yeah, it makes sense to, to showcase him as much as you can. And uh, with Kamala about to make his return to the territory, we go back in time, another throwback to the Irish McNeil Boys Club. We see the Ugandan giant, Kamala, over Steve Miller. And then it's off to the UNO Lakefront Arena. Tape back April 6th, the Sheep Herders with Jack Victory in their corner, taking on Tracy Smothers and Perry Jackson. With Joel Watts on commentary, the Herders picking apart Jackson to start off. Tagged to Tracy Smothers, who fares a little better than Perry, but again, the Sheeps dominating Tracy until Butch telegraphs a backdrop smothers finally able tag back to perry jackson from there it's a four-way melee until tracy's tossed to the floor and the herders with a double clothesline and the double gut buster on jackson gonna pick up the win in five minutes so my takeaway here is you know just because they lost the titles doesn't mean you forget about them or you bury them remember they're still in line for a rematch with the fantastic so i thought they did a good job here continuing to put the herders over on tv yeah, and then plus it gets them in the fans' eyes, you know, ready to see them at the Crockett Cup. You know, like you said, you don't bury them just because they're former champions. You know, they're, they're still a relevant uh, component in the tag team, tag team scene. 
And uh, from there, another fun throwback match here on Power Pro. We see the Fantastics defeat Len Denton and Tony Anthony, the Dirty White Boys, before we're off to yet another promo from the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Club Bill Watts, President-elect Chairman of the Bulls, the head honcho from Oklahoma. Universal Wrestling Federation, and Bill Watts is bringing the greatest array of talent throughout this country under this one banner. Obviously, Cruz is Dusty Rhodes, the American longtime partner, longtime rival with the Cowboy Bill Watts. And going through the country, seeing the great wrestling fans that know the difference between a, as you say, commercial for Cheerios, if you will, they know the real thing. We spent a lifetime wrestling. That's what's on the marquee. It's very simple. You can play music. You can rip shirts off. You can go five minutes and call yourself the world champion. But unless you wrestle in Universal Wrestling Federation, awful Bill Watts, chairman of the board, if you will, cowboy, then only the best and all the rest don't matter. Those comments from a true superstar in professional wrestling, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And, and Dusty putting over the cowboy, Bill Watts, the UWF promotion, and simply being the best, baby. Dusty Rhodes, there's nobody better. Just ask him. <laughs> Dusty was no fool. He knew who to put over. He put over the promoter. You know, why not put over Cowboy Bill Watts? He's signing the paychecks. Uh, from there, we go back to the UNO Lakefront Arena, again taped on April the 6th. Jim Crockett Promotions invading the UWF territory as we get a steel cage bout under, quote-unquote, deathmatch rules, a.k.a. no disqualification. It's the American Dream Dusty Rhodes baby doll in his corner taking on Arn Anderson. And the storyline being here, Arn trying to collect on a bounty set by fellow horseman Ric Flair. You see, guys, Flair, he doesn't want Dusty to make it to the Crockett Cup for that NWA title shot. As Joel Watts back on commentary for this one, Arn Anderson jaw jacks with Baby Doll, but Dusty nipping that right in the bud with a big bionic elbow right out of the gate. Should mention, this is one of those steel bar type cages, Roman, not that chain link fence we're accustomed to seeing down in Crockett country. And for those who think only Vince used that form of a cage, you'd be wrong. It's more common than you guys might think, but this one more unique because it doesn't just, doesn't just surround the ring, but it's wide enough that you can actually walk around ringside inside the cage as well. Yeah, I'm a traditionalist. I like the old cyclone fence where you Agreed. can grind the guy's face into it. I, I know why they went to the blue bar cage. You know, it's easier for the wrestlers to get a foothold and climb out of the ring. But the old chain link fence, I always thought was much better. It made you believe the guys hated each other even more when they're grinding their face on the, on the, on the chain link fence. Now, I've heard the steel bars were far more unforgiving on the flesh, and I, I believe that to be true, but it just it never worked for me. I was always, like you said, a big fan of the, the old cyclone, the traditional fence, if you will of the steel cage, but I'm not sure where they pulled this one out of down there. Obviously it was like a local cage they, they were using, but uh, nevertheless, it's, it's more accustomed to the blue bar cage in the WWF than it is one of those uh, territory esque type cages you guys are accustomed to seeing, but it's uh, the action. It's slow going here early on as we head into a commercial break and then back from break Arn going to the leg of dusty Rhodes, beginning to drive him into the cage bars, but Rhodes begins fighting back, driving Arn into the cage as well. Did I mention this match? Very slow going. Every move in the matchup separated, and Dusty just seems to be moving with a lack of interest here. But back inside, Rhodes goes down with a bad leg, and Arn goes back to working it over. 
taking Rhodes' own boot off to apply pain directly to the bone. Classic Anderson stuff there. But Dusty, back up to his feet, grabs hold of the boot, clocking Arn with it, and both men now down on the mat, but Arn able to go back to the ankle of Dusty before Rhodes can capitalize. Dusty finally back to his feet with a slow-motion version of the flip, flop, and fly. And Dusty comes running off the ropes with a crossbody, kinda, keeping Arn down for the pin. Match goes 6 minutes and 16 seconds. And Roman, I was amped for this match when I saw we were getting it on TV. Great story with Arn trying to take Rhodes out prior to the Crockett Cup in a steel cage. And no DQ, no less. And Joel Watts claiming Dusty was bleeding there. But if he was, I couldn't tell, which says a lot for a Dusty match. It just felt like Rhodes was going through the motions here and barely doing that. I don't know what it was, but this was, I hate to say it, but borderline embarrassing to present as a main event of a house show. And it doesn't hurt putting a cage match on TV, but maybe they were starstruck enough, the fans from the WTBS stars that they didn't notice this wasn't particularly good, at least by my estimation. But I'd be curious what Bill Watts had to say after this. I don't know if you saw a different match than me here, but I was like, what is this? No, and for it to only go six minutes, and then just knowing that Dusty spent a lot of time on his back, you know, which that that seemed to kind of be the rep with Dusty. I had heard that before. Like, he liked that aspect of selling and laying on his back or whatever because he didn't have to do anything. Right. You know, I mean, let's face it, Dust, Dusty was not in great physical condition. And, you know, for the match to go six minutes and, yeah, I would expect a little more from an Arn Dusty Cage match, that's for sure. Yeah, there was, uh, everybody phoned it in here to a degree. There was, they claimed Dusty Rhodes was bleeding. Again, I couldn't tell either man bleeding in a cage and you didn't have to prompt Dusty much to, to, to blade. So it was just like he had no interest in being here. This was the main event of that night. Where did I say that was? You know, Lakefront Arena. I mean, and Dusty just didn't really come to work. Again, they did the least amount they could. They they took turns hitting each other, and in between each shot, there was like, let's sit here for 30 seconds and rest. I just wasn't impressed. I was very underwhelmed. Yeah, you know, if you're collecting a bounty or you hate somebody, why would you hurt them and then kind of stall? You know, like, yeah, like you said, there wasn't a good flow to the match. There should have been a lot, lot more going on, you know, without all the dead time. Yeah, uh, absolutely, especially in a six-minute match like that. But it is what it is, guys. (laughs) As uh, We'll go on, Roman. We'll head on to the next week of TV, April the 19th. It's Crockett Cup weekend, guys. This show taped back April 13th, also at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we kick off this week's program with a clip from last week reminding us of Jack Victory's tainted win over Terry Taylor all thanks to Lady Maxine, as it is once again Jim Ross with Jay Smith here on commentary for this episode. We head to the ring, listen to this one. Brett Wayne Sawyer taking on Gustavo Mendoza, and Gustavo looking dingy and sporting that Cuban cigar for the matchup as the bell sounds. Mendoza refusing a handshake. Brett says fine, and off we go. Sawyer working a hammerlock and then comes down off the middle rope with a knee drop into the arm of Gustavo, so... Brett clearly trying to work that arm for the story in this one. Sawyer, though, going to try a reverse rolling cradle at one point, but Mendoza holding onto the ropes, and Brett takes a bump to the back of his head. I really like that spot. Gustavo with a nice suplex move from there, and he springs up to the middle rope, luchador style. Gotta love that nimbleness of Mendoza in this matchup. He goes up to the middle rope for a leaping elbow and gets himself a two count, but Sawyer right back in gear with a backbreaker, and then the middle rope Sawyer splash 
going to get the win in four minutes and 44 seconds. I was curious what they were going to do here, and we did legitimately get a five-minute match out of these two. Yeah, and the, and the crowd was really into it, which to me made the match a little more exciting, and Mendoza took it to Brett. And uh, when Brett came off the second turnbuckle with the splash for the victory, and I, I thought this was a good match to kick off the show. Now, we also learned during this matchup via a scroller at the bottom of the screen, thanks to the New Orleans Eyewitness News, a sports note. Uh, Spinks over Larry Holmes in the boxing world via a split decision. And at the time, a controversial finish to Holmes Spinks 2 sees Spinks repeat the winner. Always fun to relive a little history beyond just wrestling on these TV shows. Pretty cool. Uh, This result had to have come immediately following the fight, which also took place on the night of the 19th as well. Yeah, I saw that little scroll, too. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, to keep you abreast as to what else was going on in the world at that time besides us focusing on the UWF. Well, it wasn't a Yankees score or anything, Roman, but I thought it was pretty cool anyway. (laughs) Back back in those days, we could actually win a game. Show goes on, and he's back. Talking about Kamala. Kamala, the Ugandan giant with Skandor Akbar in his corner, going to take on Ricky Gibson here. And this was recorded a week before those Buck Robley Super Pro Wrestling shows were advertised. So Kamala and even Akbar used as main event wrestlers on those shows. Safe to say they won't be back. And were you referring to the shows where they did not mention the time, the location, uh, the matches, all that (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. How, how little information that gave us. Yes, Buck Robley promoting his upcoming shows. He named the cities, but not the venues, the times, phone numbers, tickets, nothing else. Just, hey, we got shows in these cities. Go find them if you can. Yeah. yeah. Great job of booking. Needless to say, Kamala and Akbar have left Super Pro Wrestling for the UWF. Wise move there by both men. As Kamala attacks Ricky Gibson here, laying in some chops. But Ricky tries to fight back with a drop kick, but doesn't seem to move the Ugandan. Kamala back with a thrust kick, double thrust chopped to the throat, and the big splash. Going to give Kamala the win in just 46 seconds. Impressive return for Kamala here, who will have some upcoming matches with Hacksaw Duggan. Yeah, it was an impressive return for Kamala to beat the uh, veteran Ricky Gibson in very short fashion. You know, they talked about potential matches between Duggan and Kamala in the WWF in 87, but we all know Duggan's initial run there didn't last long enough for that to happen. And then by the time he was back, Kamala was gone. Right, yeah, we never got to see that matchup, which, which would have been fun to see. I think those two could have, uh, could have worked good together. I think it would have been a lot better than Duggan versus Nikolai Volkov, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Show goes on, more localized promos coming to the Lakefront Arena, May the 18th. Jack Victory taking on Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor, you cry, baby. <laughs> you went to the promotion, didn't you? You want a rematch against Jack Victory, huh? You didn't think it was fair. You didn't think it was fair that Maxine was there, did you, brother? You cried, I beat you one, two, three, and you want me again. You want me again? Well, Maxine will be there again, Terry Taylor. He will be there again. Those comments from Mo, Larry, and Curly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's hear this statement from Terry Taylor. Well, Jack Victor, you did something a lot of people thought you didn't have in you. One of the top men in the Universal Wrestling Federation, you got a win on Terry Taylor right here on national television and embarrassed me in front of everybody. Well, maybe I seem a little bit upset. Maybe I am. Because it wasn't just you. You had to have the outside help of that seven-foot-tall, whatever-she-is, freaky-looking woman. Now, I didn't know when she went out there. I don't know what your relationship is with her or anything. And maybe I'm a little bit upset. Because those people have put a lot of time and effort and faith into me 
And to lose in a situation like that where a woman's holding my leg. Yes, she is big and yes, she is strong, but I didn't expect it. That's the number one thing. So victory, when it comes down to it, there are no titles. It's just going to be a lot of pride. It's going to be you against me. And if that woman gets in the way this time, I'm not going to be a gentleman. I'm going to slap her right out of the way. So there they, there you go. Both men talking about their previous bout. Victory using Maxine to cheat to win. Terry Taylor says he wasn't expecting it, but he won't make the same mistake twice. So these two still going at it on the house shows. And then from there, last week, we see a clip of Eddie Gilbert versus Coco Beware. Remember, Korchenko attacks, but Dr. Death out to make the save. And here we go again, Roman. This week, we're treated to another UWF vignette. It was a couple weeks ago we were introduced to Lady Maxine in one of these. Well, this week, it's Jay Smith sent out on location at the Oklahoma City Sheraton Century having some lunch with Eddie Gilbert and Korchenko. Gilbert says he would have loved to have brought Jay Smith to a, a nice fancy restaurant, but all Korchenko ever wants is good old American cuisine of hamburgers and hot dogs. Apparently also digs the pretty American women. Uh, as we see Korchenko scarfing down the food with a napkin tucked into his shirt, that'll get you over as a top heel. And with all of this going on, Gilbert calls out Jim Duggan, calling him a coward, trying to goad Hacksaw into giving Korchenko a North American title shot. Gilbert also thinks maybe he and Korchenko should team up to take the Fantastics tag titles as well. Or maybe Eddie just use your Blade Runners for that. But man, I watched this segment and pfft, Roman, for as much fun as I had in the Sheep Herders segment with Maxine, this one did not work for me. It was quick, but is this how you really want to portray Korchenko in a comedy segment at a restaurant wolfing down hamburgers? Yeah, I, I didn't understand this segment, you know, like <laughs> you and me both, like you said, it was quick and that was the only good thing. And it was just like, what are they doing here? You know, you have flashbacks to the world class vignettes when they would take Bill Mercer, you know, the Freebirds would be out with Bill Mercer at a, at a bar or something. And there was always an angle to get over something, but just, Hey, my guy Korchenko could be a champ. Okay. You know, like it, it just went nowhere. And the thought of a Duggan Korchenko, boy, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Yeah. I mean, Korchenko being sold as a top challenger here to Hacksaw Duggan's belt, and we, we know other big things coming as well for Korchenko uh, not too far down the road. But Kim Mantell has clearly brought the comedy aspect to the show, and I think there's a place for that in small doses, but there's certain people that work in this situation and some characters that, that shouldn't go near a bit like this. An evil foreign menace, a Russian Korchenko. Can you imagine if Crockett did this? At the peak of Nikita Koloff's heel run, it would have neutered him as a scary monster heel. But really, watching this, I can't believe Bill Watts even let this fly. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I couldn't imagine Nikita sitting around eating, eating American hot dogs, and <laughs> yeah, that, that would have, that would have killed his gimmick. But we're not done yet, guys. After the vignette, we head off to the ring to see Korchenko in action, as only he can do. Coming to the ring by manager Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, taking on Perry Jackson here. It's the over-the-shoulder backbreaker drop. Going to give Korchenko the win in just 53 seconds. And then post-match, Korchenko burying Jackson under the Russian flag. And Gilbert takes out that red shovel of doom and pretends to literally bury Perry with dirt as well. So, we get a comedy side of Korchenko. He's got a napkin tucked in for a bib eating hamburgers. And now here he is. We're supposed to buy him as this big monster heel picking up a win in under a minute's time. And they announced on commentary that Korchenko was an experienced wrestler. And my first thought was, that doesn't mean he's any good. 
You know, there are people that have had their driver's license for 40 years, but I wouldn't want to get in a car with them. The Brooklyn Brawler was an experienced wrestler as well. Just saying. <laughs> as the action can, no, we're not going to action, Roman. We're going to continue on. Got a couple promos lined up here. More localized promos for the Lakefront Arena, May the 18th. It's the Sheep Herders coming for revenge against the now tag team champions, the Fantastics. Whoa! Yeah. You fantastic! You, you fantastic. might think you're great! You might Look think you're great. great coming into the Sheep Herders territory with your pretty boy look, with your pretty clothes, with your fancy moves, That's but you know right, something fantastic! You stole something that belonged to the Sheep Herders! The sheep herders. You stole something that the Sheep Herders were proud of! Proud you stole of. something that belonged to New Zealand! We're going to New Zealand! We're going to take it back! And we're going to take it back long the long only long. way that we know how to take it back New Zealand style. We're going to have those boats back with our waist so we can show you right, people that we are the greatest tag team in the world today. Yay! Ladies and gentlemen, those comments from the Sheep Herders. Now let's hear this from the champions. Universal Wrestling Federation, a brand new day in a brand new way. Sheep Herders, for the first time, the Fantastics have captured these prestigious tag team belts. We've held many regional titles before, but this one here is the most coveted to the Fantastics because this is where we all put the Fantastics together. Let me say something right now, Sheep Herders. When you come in that ring, brother, with all your anti-American stuff, remember one thing, that them people out in that audience are going to be chanting, USA, USA, and let me say one more thing. Sheep Herders, it's not going to be no cakewalk. It's not going to be no pushover because we're here to stay and not to play, brother, and those belts are here to stay around our waist. We're looking forward to coming back, seeing all you nice people, seeing all those girls out there and hey sheep herders be ready for a fight a few hands so the herders referring to the fantastics as pretty boys who came back into the uwf and stole their title belts but they're gonna take them back mate the fantastics say they've held many regional titles in the past but this this is the first world titles ever held by the fans uwf tag team titles making sure to put out their no longer regional but rather world title belts and what a great way like you said to make the promotion look better that this is big time this isn't the irish mcneil's boys club anymore you know <laughs> right. we're big time champs now yeah and they drive that point home they mentioned that repeatedly here over the next couple of weeks that this is our first world titles we've been regional champions before but this is our very first world titles that we've ever held so i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> the way they're trying to get that over exactly you know they were trying to get that over not so much bearing the competition by any stretch but getting themselves over as the show continues on, back to the ring, the Birdman Coco Beware back in here this week, taking on Rick Steiner with Buzz Sawyer in his corner. And while Rick has Buzz, Coco out here by his lonesome. And Sawyer mocking where being all by himself, but wait, Dr. Death Steve Williams arriving ringside, Williams then making a public challenge to Buzz Sawyer for a TV title shot. Boy, that would be something else. But that's not all. If Buzz is going to remain ringside for Steiner, then Doc says he'll be the corner man for Coco Beware. And Dr. Death, oh my God, Roman, even flapping his wings, if you will, Dr. Death doing the bird. I love it. Yeah, Doc was uh, getting the crowd riled up. And for him to come out and challenge Sawyer, that's something, you know, there, there was a match or two with them on TV, but I would have loved to have seen a nice feud with Doc and Sawyer. So Doc out here two weeks in a row aiding Coco Beware, which I think is kind of interesting. DiBiase not here, so Dr. Death finding his way into some feuds and storylines, and I'm not complaining. You know, just thinking about it, you know, storyline 
Doc should have been with Terry Taylor since he was going to be his tag partner at the Crockett Cup. You know, Maxine would have never been able to do what she did if Doc was at ringside. You know, just just something to think about all these years later. Oh, yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, but the action here, Steiner going to kick things off here. I wrote with a sick fireman's throw, not a fireman's carry, but a fireman's throw right out of the gate, almost like a, a one-motion version of Cena's attitude adjustment, like just kind of launches Coco across his shoulders. As Where, though, going to give it right back with his own takedown as things get fun early on between the two men. Steiner shot into the ropes, Coco going for a leapfrog, but where? Well, he's on the shorter side, Roman, so his leapfrog... Maybe not as high as some of the others. And uh, as he goes into the air, Rick Steiner tries to duck under it, but loses balance, stumbles as he's running, and falls through the ropes and out of the ring. Now, it was a mistake, but it worked. The fans ate it up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always nice when they can cover for their mistakes, you know, and make it look like it was part of the match itself. Yeah, it was uh, fun times. The crowd having a laugh at Steiner's expense, and he sold it really well. As the match goes on, Coco takes control. Steiner tries an elbow off the middle rope at one point, but he misses, and Ware fires off some great punches and a pair of drop kicks. And that's when Buzz Sawyer up onto the apron as Coco trying to make a cover, which also brings Dr. Death up onto the apron as well. And of course, that leads to referee Tommy Gilbert admonishing the babyface, Dr. Death. Hey, get off the apron. Meanwhile, behind the ref's back, Buzz Sawyer springs up to the middle rope. Mad Dog off the ropes with a flying elbow, but Coco moves out of the way, and Buzz lands on top of Rick Steiner instead. And then Dr. Death, rushing into the ring, shoulder tackle, sends the Mad Dog back out to the floor with one of his insane backwards diving bumps through the ropes. Jesus, Buzz. And Coco Beware going to cover Steiner for the 1-2-3. Beware picking up the win, 5 minutes and 22 seconds, really protecting where the last couple weeks here on TV. Things didn't go the heels' way. Their plans backfired, and the crowd loving this finish. And there was a couple things that I really liked about this match, and one was that when watching it, you never got the feeling that Rick Steiner was an inexperienced wrestler. He did a really good job in this match. And uh, the old school style of Coco working on Steiner's arm, you know, because Steiner's bigger and stronger. So Coco went to work on a body part, you know, working on Steiner's arm. And then Doc coming in at at the end with the shoulder tackle and just Doc, as big as he is, you would believe he would knock you into the middle of next week. And then Sawyer selling it the way he did. And just uh, this was a fun match. Yeah, give me Dr. Death versus Buzz Sawyer all day, every day. That would be fun. But I, I really did enjoy it. And obviously, Buzz Sawyer costing Rick Steiner his own man the match in this instance here. But Coco Beware, he's, he's ready for prime time. Unfortunately, you know, due to his lack of size, uh, he never really gets the push maybe that he deserved. But man, he was great here in the Mid-South. Yeah, and uh, I just can't help but go back to, I thought Rick Steiner looked so much more improved. And, you know, a big part of it was that he was in the ring with Coco, but I thought Steiner held his own in this match. Oh, yeah. Now, Steiner, he's been here for several months, but for the short period of time he's been in the business, these last couple months specifically, he's really come into his own. Yeah, you can see the improvement. You know, when you're watching the weekly episodes, that was one of the first things that stood out to me. Like, man, he does not look inexperienced anymore. No, definitely not inexperienced. Does not look like a rookie here. He did a a fantastic job in this matchup. As uh, we roll on, more localized promos for the upcoming Lakefront Arena show, May the 18th. We're going to hear from the North American champion, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's slated to take on Kamala 
In the main event, also on the show, listen to this. We're going to hear from Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. He's leading Blade Runner Rock, that's the ultimate warrior, into battle against Ted DiBiase. Oh, my God. Excuse me, folks, for just one second while I put that North American heavyweight belt down and talk about something that's real dear to me. Something that you folks all remember. Something that happened almost a year ago in Jackson, Mississippi, when Kamara had a hold of my legs and I was kicking and I was fighting and I was doing everything I could. And then Skandar Akbar. Skandar Akbar, a name that goes back to me for a long way, for reasons that a man doesn't talk about on national TV. Skandar Akbar and myself don't see eye to eye. But in Jackson, Mississippi, he reached down in his pocket and he got flame. He got fire and he ruined my eyesight. Something that can never be repaired. Kamara, Kamara, you're going down. Tough guy. No doubt that's going to be extremely physical on the 18th of May. Plus, Ted DiBiase returns to go against Rock of the Blade Runners. Now, he is the biggest Blade Runner of the two, the bigger of the two, and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert's made some comments about that. Hear this. It seems they're always doing it. They're always trying to find ways to back me up right against the wall so they don't think I can do anything about it, and they think I'm just going to forget about it. Well, people, I'm not. You think this is a great plan, don't you? You're busting the Blade Runners up for one particular match. He's putting Rock against Ted DiBiase, our great young, young hero of wrestling. Well, Ted DiBiase, let me tell you, they picked you to go in the ring one-on-one -on -one against Rock. Well, brother, I have not one thing to say to you, and that is I feel very, very, very sorry for you, and that comes from the very bottom of my heart because this plan, this scheme, will backfire, and in the end, the Blade Runners will still be untarnished. There it is, dug and ready for revenge on Kamala from last year. He hasn't forgotten, Roman, that fireball from Skandor Akbar. Meanwhile, Eddie Gilbert says the UWF, they think they're wise, breaking up his Blade Runners for this show. Well, tag team or singles, they'll remain undefeated. Now, DiBiase many a times has complained about the ultimate warrior in the WWF, but can you imagine DiBiase taking on Rock here in uh, the spring of 86? Yeah. <laughs> like you said, if, if he was hard to deal with in the WWF when he had a little more experience, I couldn't imagine what he was like dealing with uh, here in the UWF. My God, that would have been something I would have loved to have seen. Who knows? Maybe it'll pop up here on a Power Pro to come. I haven't gotten that far ahead, so I can't say for sure. I sure hope it is, though. I doubt it, but I sure would love to see it. As uh, we close out this week's TV, six-man tag team main event, tag team champions, the Fantastics, teaming with Terry Taylor, taking on the team of the Sheep Herders and Jack Victory, Lady Maxine ringside for this one. And if you thought the Fantastics entrance took forever, Roman, just add Terry Taylor. And it goes on forever. And even after they get in the ring, tons of playing to the crowd and stalling before we ever get a bell here. Is Bobby Fulton finally going to start off for his team? And he has Bushwhacker Butch bumping all over the ring. But Jack Victory comes in and he goes bumping too. Finally, it's Luke now. And Luke Williams starts to come in, but he thinks the wiser. As Bobby Fulton gets the crowd pumped, taking on all three men by himself here for a brief period of time. If you're in the arena, it might not bother you, but as a fan on TV, you're looking at the clock and you're kind of like, come on, guys, hurry up, start the match, because you knew it was going to be a good match. And like you said, the Fantastic takes forever and a day to get to the ring. And then, you know, the Sheep Herders, of course, got to wave the New Zealand flag. And then we got to get a USA chant. And 
and just all the stalling is just like, man, they just took away like four or five minutes of potential action we could have been watching. And this, these were things that drove you nuts as a fan in the 80s, didn't they, Roman? Or even really into 1990, they would do that every once in a while. The USWA would even do that uh, in, in the Dallas stuff on ESPN. And it would just drive me nuts. Okay, the gang got to the ring. Now, how awful is this Lawler one-man gang match going to be? Probably pretty bad, but I still want to see it, right? You know, and it's like, oh, but there's only three minutes left of TV. So, you know, you're probably not going to get the finish. And same thing here. You're looking at the clock. You're like, all right, there's there's still 15 minutes left in the show. So we got time. But then it takes however long to get to the ring and do all the, the prelude stuff that leads into the matchup. And you just keep watching the clock tick down. You're like, guys, come on. There's still only 10 minutes left in the show. And eventually, you know, it is what it is here, like you said, but it's so unfortunate. It happened all the time in Crockett and here in Watts as well. You know, it was kind of, I guess, a subtle subliminal tool, if you want, to get you to go to the arena. Because you're probably thinking to yourself, like, well, if I go, if I go to the arena, I can see the whole match. You know, I better start buying a ticket to go to the arena once in a while, because on TV, for the most part, you knew the main events there was a good chance that you weren't going to see the finish. And that was the theory used by promoters. I don't know if that was fairly accurate or right. I guess they would know. They would know what they were drawing based on this TV or not. But it never worked like that for me. I was just bummed I didn't get to see the finish of the match. I was going to go to the show if I was going to go to the show either way. But, yeah, it was just always a, a very big heartbreak for me whenever those those huge Crockett main events on TV and there was like five minutes left and you knew there was no way – you were going to get a finish, at least not a finish you wanted to see anyway. Right. And, you know, you at least had the option from where you live, but they didn't come to my area. So I, I, right. I had to only watch them on TV. So that was even more frustrating. So the match goes on here. And from there, lots of fast tags on both sides. So they're finally picking up the pace, Roman, for us at home. Lots of fast action sees the heels grow frustrated, trying to keep pace with the baby faces. And Jack Victory, he doesn't avoid tagging into the match, but he clearly doesn't want to tag in there as well as he, he does quick damage and then tags right back out. Very wise there from Victory. As we go to a commercial break and the Fantastics are in control. But back from break, it's the Herders. Now on the offense, getting heat on Bobby Fulton. Luke Williams eventually missing a charge in the corner. And he eats a great bump, by the way. Chin first into the buckle, goes Luke there. It's Fulton with a hot tag out to Terry Taylor, which turns the match into a pure sixer. All six men in the ring. But wouldn't you know it, Roman, as you said, we're out of time. Tape machines are rolling, though. We'll never see the finish. The credits roll as we see Lady Maxine choking Terry Taylor with her whip, hanging him over the top rope, and the Fantastics going at it with the Sheep Herders as we fade out. About seven and a half minutes shown of the action here, so we don't actually see the finish, but I do believe any second there, the referee was going to have to call the DQ on the heels, Lady Maxine cheating and all. Online results show the faces going over in this one. And in all honesty, we probably missed only maybe a minute, minute and a half of the match total. Unfortunately, part of that was the finish, Roman. Yeah, and, and I like the way the match started off. I thought it was kind of cool that Bobby Fulton arm-dragged everybody. You know, a series of quick arm-drags. He would arm-drag one guy, somebody else would run in the ring, arm-drag him. You know, you know, it was very rapid and smooth how he did that. But, yeah, we, we talked about the timing of, of everything with the ring entrance and everything. They cut away to a commercial. And they come back, and that's when they went to the Duggan interview and the Gilbert interview. Right. And I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, great, two minutes left. This match isn't going to finish in two minutes. 
and they went off the air with, you know, Katie bar the door. We got a pure sixer. Everybody in the ring, it's excitement. The crowd's going crazy, but we didn't get to see the finish. No, they uh, they didn't give it to us here. And, uh, you know, I just want to explain that, too. You're right there. The promos, uh, the last promos we heard in the sound bites did air during that final commercial break in the middle of this match. Now, typically when we have something like that going on, I'll play the promos prior to or after the match so as it doesn't chop everything up and everything makes sense here on our show. But yes, that did cut into even more time in this match and you're getting so bummed because like, okay, two minutes, two and two, as Chuck Wooler you used to say, uh, we'll be back in two and two. You figure we're heading back to the ring, but instead we get localized promos on top of the commercials, which eats into even more TV time there. And uh, obviously we don't get the finish, but I'm thinking it had to have been a DQ, all kinds of craziness going on as the show goes off the air, but a fun time, no less. Yeah, and we didn't like not seeing the finish, but, you know, Watts knew what he was doing. You know, it was strategic to put those interviews, you know, and time everything and make you want to go to the arena so you could see it. I mean, they weren't dumb. They knew what they were doing. And, of course, this will lead to bigger things between all six of those men in the weeks to come here. Yeah, uh, there's a cage match that's going to come up. I believe that was on Power Pro Wrestling. And, yeah, there's more to come with these six. Barbed wire. <laughs> in the yes, works. yes. Lots of cool stuff coming up between those six men. But for now, we're going to wrap up this week here on Regional Wrestling. Going to look at Power Pro for April the 20th. So now we're a day removed from the Crockett Cup, but no spoilers here, so no big deal. As Jim Ross hosts the show this week, catching up on recent happenings once again, we see clips of the Sheep Herders winning the titles from Doc and DiBiase, and then we see clips of the Fantastics dethroning the Sheep Herders. We also get a quick look at Jack Victory stealing that win over Terry Taylor from last week. Before we're off, back to the UNO Lakefront Arena, April the 6th, joined in progress. Jack Victory taking on Ricky Gibson and Joel Watts on commentary here as sadly no Maxine in this matchup, but Jack Victory does dominate. And we get a lengthy chin lock spot where Victory, he keeps grabbing Gibson's hair to maintain control when finally Gibson has enough, pulls the hair right back of Victory and breaks the chin lock, finally firing up, landing a drop kick and a flying head scissors on Victory. But Gibson rushing in at Jack for a second head scissors, but Victory out of the way, and Gibson smashes into the corner hard. Now, I've seen guys counter flying head scissors before, but I've never seen them move out of the way of one, and Gibson just lands in the corner awkwardly. Fun little bump there. I don't know if he had an option to take it any any other way than he did, but Jack puts Gibson away with the gourd buster. So victory gets the victory in about five minutes and 15 seconds shown here on Power Pro TV. And that was a nice way for Jack Victory, you know, to keep put, giving him a little bit of a push. And to, to beat a veteran like Ricky Gibson, who the fans are familiar with, is a good idea. Yeah, no, it was a fun match to get things going. It's joined in progress. And unfortunately, most of the match is a chin lock from Victory. But it gets it, the business picks up, if you will. In that last minute there. And it was a fun little finish there. Jack Victory outsmarting the veteran Ricky Gibson in the end and using a nice solid move to put him away. Definitive win there for Jack Victory. Yes. Victory was one of those guys, a man, man of a thousand gimmicks. I always thought he should have done a little bit better, but uh, he always had a place on the card. You know, he was, he was a good serviceable worker. Oh, boy. Here we go, Roman. Next segment. Joel Watts is here to clear up the confusion. On a match that recently took place here, yeah, about two months ago, Joel, involving a wrestler that isn't even here anymore. 
Beat a dead horse, will you guys? We go back to the babyface versus babyface encounter, that number one contender match. Remember it, guys? Terry Taylor taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. We go back in time to see Jake landing the DDT, and he gets the win. That is until referee Tommy Gilbert realizes Terry Taylor's leg was under the bottom rope, so the match, it had to continue. As Jake Roberts then planting Taylor with an awesome-looking knee lift, but he misses a second one. And then Taylor countering a second DDT attempt into an inside cradle to get the win. So you guys might ask, what's the point of contention with all the recent fan mail? Well, the referee was correct in stopping the count. Your foot doesn't have to touch the rope, says Joel Watts. It just has to, quote-unquote, break the plane, be beyond the ropes. Thus, the match continued following that DDT from Jake Roberts. So once again, they're uh, replaying the video of Terry Taylor pinning Jake the Snake. I, I know they're trying to make Taylor look good, but Jake's in the WWF. He's gone. Why, why keep putting your airtime into Jake? He's, he's not going to sell you any tickets. Well, it doesn't end there, guys, because then, for no reason, we go back to over a year ago, again, Terry Taylor taking on Jake Roberts this time for the TV title, as Taylor once again picking up another win this week on TV over Jake, this time with the five arm, as we go back to Joel Watts, and then you just said it, Roman, why? Why Why keep showing Jake Roberts on your TV screen? Well, the real reason these matches are being shown finally comes out. As Joel Watts states, Terry Taylor has beaten Jake Roberts twice, decisively, use that word decisively, which proves, he says proves, Roman, proves that Taylor is the better athlete. Now, not to take away from Jake Roberts, who's also a good athlete, says Joel Watts. However, the thing Jake's been doing lately up there in that WWF with that bow constrictor, Jake wanted to do that down here in the UWF first, but we wouldn't sanction it. It's cruel to the animal. It's cruel to the opponent and dangerous for the fans. The UWF promotes a spirit of athleticism, Roman, that is unparalleled. And if you read between the lines, burying the cartoony WWF here. Yeah, I, I just think it's petty, you know, like you, yeah. he's gone. You know, you keep putting on that's the type of thing that would make a lot of people go, Well, let's check out Jake and see if they're telling the truth or you know it, like when Shivani, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to see Cactus Jack win the belt or whatever. And of course, everybody tuned in to see him win the belt. And I know the WWF very national by this point, but let's just say you're tried and true, a Mid South fan. That's what you were raised on. That's what you watch. You don't watch that other wrestling, that that fake wrestling up there up north. But then they announced to you that this is where Jake Roberts is. Maybe you were a huge fan. He had a lot of big fans down there in the Mid South, Roman. Oh, is, is Jake Roberts up there? Maybe I will tune in and check that out. Or maybe somebody's just going, Jake has a snake? He brings a snake to the ring? I got to see what that's about. So they're kind of advertising Vince McMahon without trying to. And I'm sure Vince wasn't mad about it. You know, it's it's free press. Yeah, no, it's uh, very uh, funny, but at the same time, very, as you said, petty. I just couldn't believe it when they were doing it. We're seeing these matches again, and this time they come right out and say why. Hey, Jake, he wanted to do that snake thing down here, but it's dangerous, guys. For you fans, we're protecting you, and at the same time, you know, we didn't want to sanction it. He's cruel to his animals, and uh, that, that may have been the case. I don't really know, but uh, at the same time, it's just very odd to see them continuing to play out this Jake Roberts deal, but this may be hopefully the last time we see it. Well, I wonder what the Audubon Society or PETA or whatever would have said about Coco bringing the 
the bird to ringside, you know, and dancing. And it just, I don't know. It's just kind of funny that they keep bringing up Jake, one of the guys that was most over in that company, and they're putting the spotlight on him. We'll just uh, we'll have to wait and see if we get any more of this Jake Roberts nonsense as the weeks weeks go on here in the UWF. But just I thought that was really interesting. They spent so much time this week essentially promoting a guy who's in another company. And especially when you got the Crockett Cup right around the corner. There you go. And you know, this they, weekend, they definitely could have spent their time wiser. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah they definitely could have spent their time wiser. Could have put the phone number up. Hey, if you still want tickets, you know, it's still not too late or something. Yeah, even though this aired here specifically on the Sunday in, in this particular region of the, the Mid-South Territory, which was the day after the Crockett Cup, Power Pro did air on Saturdays in a lot of places. So they could have made a really big hard sell here to get you guys to make that last-ditch effort to get to the Superdome. Right. But instead, it's Jake Roberts up there in the Northeast. As we go back in time, once again, throwback here from the Sam Houston Coliseum, Cowboy Bill Watts on commentary for this one, King Kong Bundy, another WWF fight, taking on Dr. Death. Steve Williams here as uh, in this one, Dr. Death still in college at this point. This match joined in progress, but Dr. Death lands an impressive Oklahoma stampede, amazing strength, scooping and holding Bundy up across the ring, driving him down. Now only four minutes of the action shown here, but once again, Dr. Death scoring a win over King Kong Bundy, the man who was just main eventing WrestleMania two. So I think even more pettiness comes into play here. Yeah, our guys are better than your guys, and we're going to show you why. As Power Pro continues on, joined in progress from the UNO Lakefront Arena, taped back April the 6th, Tag Team Champions Fantastics taking on Gustavo Mendoza and Taurus Bulba. And I know what you guys are thinking. Well, we already saw that match on UWF TV, but this is actually a different match between the two teams. Joined about four minutes in progress based on the time elapsed, according to the ring announcer. Fantastics have their way with Mendoza to start and clear the ring of the heels before doing some stereo struts some Fargo struts out there, but Bulba in next also suffering the same fate as Mendoza and the heels have to regroup as the Fantastics dominate this entire matchup. Gustavo finally trying to get things going with the backdrop on Tommy Rogers, but Rogers makes a blind tag at a Fulton and takes a backdrop, but Tommy lands on his feet. Awesome athleticism here by Tommy Rogers taking a backdrop from Mendoza and landing on his feet. Perfect landing too. As uh, Fulton in right away with that reverse rolling cradle from behind. Great double team spot here. Gives the champs the win. About five minutes shown of a nine minute match that the heels really never had control of. And Tommy Rogers, you know, what a tremendous athlete. And we had talked about it before in previous podcasts, how incredibly underrated he was, you know, like had he not been in the tag team, I mean, he was a junior heavyweight champion of Memphis and everything, but he would have been great to see as getting a singles push, but he just didn't have the ability to cut a really good promo. That was the one thing that hurt him, but what a phenomenal athlete he was. Yeah, I always go to Tommy's size as well. I was even looking at him compared to Bobby Fulton on something I was just watching within the last week, and I said, my God, Tommy's even shorter than I thought. And to me, I'm never really big on the whole size thing. I can see where it would hinder you up north, specifically where the land of the giants and things of that nature. But uh, I never looked at him that way when I was, you know, growing up when I was watching Tommy back then, because that tag team action hides things like that because it's just such fast motion. But, you know, like you said, Tommy Rogers is fluid in the ring with everything he did. Such a natural talent. And I got to be honest with you, Roman. I've never been a gigantic Bobby Fulton fan. Tommy Rogers kind of led that team for me. Now, I love the Fantastics in a whole, 
But Bobby Fulton, a couple of these matches here this week, really impressed me with his fluid motion, some of the things he was doing that you really didn't see anybody doing at this point, at least not in the United States. So both guys really impressed. It. They're really at the top of their game here at this point in time in 1986. Yeah, Bobby was a little bit more of a showman. You know, he would wiggle his butt and kind of, you know, taunt the heels or whatever. And Tommy was a little bit more serious. But, yeah, they were a great tag team and uh, very fluid, the quick tags, the explosive speed, and uh, they were believable. You know, when they were going up against the heels, they were very believable. They weren't afraid to bleed. You know, they could wrestle the hardcore style. They were just a solid tag team. Yeah, they really could. They were jack-of-all-trades when it comes to tag team wrestling, whether you wanted to put on a clinic with the Midnight Express or, like you said, go toe-to-toe and bleed with the uh, sheep herders in this uh, particular instance. So they could do it all. They were one of the greatest tag teams truly of all time. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Phenomenal tag team to watch. And we're going to close out this edition of Power Pro Wrestling with a tag team matchup throwback match. Go back in time. The fabulous Freebirds of Michael Hayes and Buddy Roberts scoring a win here over Brad Armstrong and Mike Jackson. Michael Hayes picking up the pinfall after a bulldog on Mike Jackson there. So you'd have to think, if you didn't know what was going on, why are they showing Freebirds matches all of a sudden? you got to think the Freebirds, the boys, are back in town. Yeah, the Freebirds are coming back in, and uh, seeing Armstrong's another one that you could put in the Tommy Rogers category, very underrated. And Mike Jackson, I am looking forward to seeing him. He will be wrestling at the gathering this awesome. week. Jackson is in his 60s, and I went to the gathering a couple years ago, and that man stole the show. He had everybody on his feet, and that guy could outwork probably half the guys today. It is incredible to watch a 60-something Mike Jackson wrestle. I mean, if you get a chance, don't pass it up. He, he is still great to watch. Yeah, I was always a huge fan of Mike Jackson. wish they could have done a little more with him, but after looking at him, I kind of get why they really couldn't. Not as uh, appeasing to the eyes as, as you might want for one of your superstars. But Mike Jackson in the ring. My God, look at that team, Brad Armstrong and Mike Jackson. Talk about having a clinic all day long. That, that could have been a show stealer any night of the week on TV. Yeah, and when you watch them, you always believe they could win. You know, some of the enhancement guys, you know there's no chance they'll win. But if you saw Mike Jackson, you always believed he, had a chance. he could pull an upset right. on a Tully Blanchard or something. Like, it wouldn't be shocking if he did. Right. He was definitely a, a step above just your typical enhancement. I don't even mean the ones that got pushed and could put on a good match. Mike Jackson was in that very small list of guys, like you said, that, no, he could do it. If he didn't, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, yeah. If Mike Jackson somehow pinned Barry Windham or whatever, it'd be like, well, okay, you know, anything can happen. It's the world of pro wrestling. You know, right. it, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise where if a, you know, Cougar J or somebody did it, you'd be like, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? But if Mike Jackson did it, like, hey, it was his day. Cougar J throwback to the uh, late 80s there. <laughs> Ooh, what a name out of the past. Good one, Roman. Uh, we're going to close out this edition of Regional Wrestling. Going to close it out looking at a Sam Houston Coliseum card real quick. Going to run through the matches here. Taking place April the 25th, so it is post-Crockett Cup, but doesn't hurt anything based on the results here. Going to see the Blade Runners over Dave Peterson and Tracy Smothers. Coco Beware pinning Taurus Bulba on his way out. He's going to be gone. I think he's got one more night after this, and Bulba's gone from the company. So Coco Beware picking up a win there over Bulba. In a return match last month, ended in a disqualification. This month, Chavo Guerrero pinning the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Also on the card, Terry Taylor getting a revenge matchup here, picking up a win over Jack Victory. 
And then from there, North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan getting a win over Corsita Korchenko on a disqualification. Yikes. And then in the main event of the night, tag team champion Fantastic victorious once more over the Sheep Herders. So a couple of fun matches in there. I'm still, I would have loved to have seen Chavo and Buzz Sawyer. I just would have liked to have seen how that played out. And then you get the Fantastics and Herders again here in Houston. And then Duggan, unfortunately, slated to take on Korchenko on this one. Goes to a DQ. I'll have to wait and see if they bring it back for a rematch or not. Yeah, I was I was wondering, just looking at the results, like, wow, Duggan, the champ, couldn't beat Korchenko? You know, the guy we were just cracking on for eating all the hot dogs and everything? Right. And, yeah, maybe they, maybe they were setting up a rematch or a no-DQ match or something. But, uh, yeah, just kind of surprising to see that result. You'd have to hope, based on that result, the plan was to bring the match back again, storyline-wise. Now, I don't hope they bring that match back again. I'm fine with the DQ, and that's that's the end of it, and we never see this again, but who knows? I would have loved to have seen the Fantastics and Sheep Herders. You know, that's, that's one you wouldn't get tired of seeing. That would have been a fun one to see in person. Yeah, no, no spoilers, guys. We won't talk about any future Houston cards on this episode of Regional Wrestling, but more coming soon, as Bill Watts owned a third of the stake in the company of the Houston territory at this point. So it very much was driven by the UWF and had been for a couple of years now at this point in time. So uh, that's going to wrap it up here this week. Next time you hear Roman on the show, he'll be back. We're going to be discussing the Crockett Cup, a joint event between Jim Crockett Promotions and Bill Watts' UWF taking place right here in the Superdome as part of Mid-South in 1986. And since it takes place with Bill Watts, promoting the event, so to speak, the local promoter. Uh, that means it falls, it lies right here in the 1986 UWF project, Roman, which means we get to cover it. Oh, and I am looking forward to that. And that was just such excitement. There was so much going on in wrestling, not just in the UWF. You know, the Crockett Cup was great, but this was rightly the uh, Wrestle Rock was around this time. There was excitement with that. And just 1986 was a great year to be a fan, but the Crockett Cup, you know, the two-day event, all the possibilities. I hope this team wrestles this one. What's going to happen if this? And just, you know, we know the results, you know, all these years later. But at that time, it was a time to be filled with excitement and uh, just wondering what was going to happen. And we had to wait at that time, sometimes three months down the road, to get all the results in, in the after magazines. Yeah, my gosh. And one night, the Road Warriors, the Midnights, the Rock and Rolls, the Fantastics, the Fabulous Ones, the Horsemen team up, Arn and Tully. Uh, and they hadn't really been a team quite yet. But I mean, my gosh, look at up and down the line. So many huge teams involved. Sheep Herders, the Guerreros, the list goes on. And I look forward to calling, you know, all of that with you talking about all of that. I did a lot of research already on the show itself. I, I went back and watched it. I already started taking some notes. I'm not through the whole event yet, but I've been having a lot of fun with it. And I, can't wait to uh, cover that with you on our next uh, venture together. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I've, I've watched the home version video, the, the Peacock, and just, oh, there's so much to talk about. And, uh, yeah, Ray, I, I can't wait to cover that. That is going to be a blast. That, that might be one that ch so chalk-filled with information. That, that might be a two-parter, a three-parter. I don't know what you think, but I don't think we can wrap all that up in a nice little tiny 30-minute bow by any stretch. Well, I, to me, I'm just going to play it by ear. We'll have to wait and see how long it takes us to get through the event. Could it be a two-parter? Absolutely. Is it, could it shock me and we, we knock it out in 90 minutes? Who knows? I mean, it is just a tag team tournament after all. Not a lot of story-driven stuff going on. But again, there's just so much to cover, so many teams and so much going on, a lot of moving parts. 
Right, and then of course you got the world heavyweight title. You know, being defended by Ric Flair, you got the North American title. You know, Duggan and Slater. I mean, there was a lot going on on that card over two nights. Yeah, you got your two big uh, singles title matches, as you said, the North American title, the NWA World title, and then so many tag, more tag team matches than you can shake a stick at, whatever that means. So it's going to be a fun time calling all of that, just kind of looking through round by round everything that's going on and some of the odd pairings early on, some fun ones for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Some of these pairings, you're like, is anybody really going to believe that they're going to even advance past the first round, but they had to have X amount of teams to you know, make it a big tournament. And I'll save the discussion for the actual show, but there were a couple of matches here where I'm like, I'm just not buying the act. The match is going to happen until it actually takes place. Cause I'm just like, there's no way these two teams wrestle each other. I just, I don't know how it's going to play out, but it does. It happens. And uh, we'll get into that when we get to the show, going to be a lot of fun talking that. So, but for now, Roman, I appreciate you popping back on. I know you, like you said, you work's been crazy. Life's been crazy. You've got a lot going on. Thanks for stopping by again here and covering a couple more weeks of 1986 in the mid South territory, as we're going to get ever so close to closing out the month of April, going to be a third of the way done with the year of 1986, but first the Crockett cup up next. Yeah, and uh, thank you for your patience, Ray, and thank you for the patience for the fans out there that listen to the podcast. And uh, I'm going to do everything I can to make myself more available more often, you know, and hopefully uh, work cooperates and everything. But, yeah, I enjoy doing this, and hopefully we can keep putting out some product that you guys will like on a more frequent basis. So thanks for staying patient with us. Looking forward to it, Roman. And I've had a few people ask me, Hey, when's the next mid South podcast coming out? I can't wait to hear more and, and kind of follow along there. Remember on my YouTube, I've been trying to chronologically upload all of the TV from this time period. So people can, for those that want to, they can go back and follow along with us, or even just check out the segments or matches that sound in- interesting to them. I've had a few people say that they've been doing that with us and they love watching those shows after listening to what we have to say about them. And people have just been asking, Hey, I want to continue watching the shows. When are you going to put another one out? And my answer is simply when we have the time, I mean, we're doing the best we can, but you know, real life gets in the way sometimes of the fun, uh, but we're, we're doing the best we can. And I look forward to having you back soon. It's Crockett cup 86 Roman. Thank you so much for being here again. My pleasure. Can't wait for the Crockett cup. All right, and that's going to wrap it up here this week for Regional Wrestling and the Mid-South Wrestling 86 Project. I want to thank guest co-host Roman Gomez once more. And of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Going to be back soon with more Mid-South 86, more Georgia 81, as the good times continue to flow here on Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories.